Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Adam Hawkins. In each episode, I present a small batch of theory and practices behind building a high-velocity software organization. Topics include DevOps, Lean, software architecture, continuous delivery, and conversations with industry leaders. Now, let's begin today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Small Batches. This is the third and final part of my conversation with John Willis on Dr. Deming. John Willis is a co-author of the DevOps Handbook and also the host of the Profound podcast dedicated to discussing Dr. Deming's work. We pick up the conversation with common cause and special cause variation. This was one of the biggest takeaways from the new economics for me, and it after I've had some time to think about it, it's uh, really given me some food for thought on how I should work differently. So I hope it does the same for you. Enjoy part three of the conversation. John, welcome back. So we left off last time talking about like identifying what's wrong with the system, which I think is a great segue into special cause and common cause, which is something we brought up in the past. But can you explain a little bit more to listener what that idea is? Yeah, so um, it was originally created by a guy named Walter Stewart who was dealing with um, large factories. And basically, you know, in, in the 1920s, right, telephones were the buzz, right? It was the thing, like telephones and telephone factories. Oh, my goodness, a telephone. Ah, look at it. It's awesome. Right. And uh, so he worked in a factory. So I, I, I read a book on with this town called Hawthorne, which is a fascinating story by itself. But they said that, like, if you were um, in, like, the 1920s, if you were talking about cars, you were talking about Detroit. If you were talking about steel, you were talking about Erie. If you were talking about electronics, you were talking about Hawthorne, Hawthorne outside of Chicago. And so this is a place where they were manufacturing. They had, like, 40,000 people. By the way, if you ever heard of the Hawthorne effect, I mean, it's sort of a mecca for a lot of different cool stuff that was going on. By the way, Deming, Deming did his internship here, too. Hmm. All right, so... um. So there's like 40,000 people at the sort of height, maybe, you know, like, I don't know, 1925, you know, basically working in some capacity to produce equipment that would be part of a telephone factory, telephones, the whole shebang, right? This is uh, not much, a big bell, it became bell, right? So it was Hawthorne. And, but at the time, it was like 5,000 of those workers were downstream manual testers. So Schuett realized, you know, he had sort of an engineering, he had statistical background, right? A lot of cool stuff was coming out from like in the late, you know, sort of 19th century. You know, you had uh, Ludwig Boltzmann with statistical mechanics, like people applying statistics to really weird things, right? And so he, I, he came up with this idea, like, could we use statistical analysis to look for the causes of defects? Okay. Right? And the first thing he realized, if you use statistics, so really very sort of simple is you take all the data, you, you create a, sort of a standard deviation, um, and, and, Three sigma below, three sigma above the sort of the mean of the data. You know, it, it sort of variates based on complexity, but the simplistic explanation of it. And then anything above the three three sigma and below the three sigma on sort of the control card. One is you had to make it visible. That was his first sort of point. And it wasn't that it mm-hmm. necessarily was to be visible in terms of a screen, or but you had to put the data out of your head and into something that you can m- sort of mentally visualize. Mm-hmm. So he created this control chart of this idea of like you plot the data of either within three sigma above or below or above. And so the about, he originally called that uh, assignable cause. I'm just to make it simple. I'm going to just use the terms that Deming renamed it to, which was special cause and common cause. So special cause was 
anything above or below the three sigma. And when and when you're trying to figure out problems, and, and honestly, those are reasonably easy. They're, they're either black swans, like there was electrical outage and we had a ton of defects at the shutdown or startup of the, the generator or whatever, right? All right, so that I know what that is. Okay, we're going to try to make sure the motor generator doesn't go down next time, whatever, right? But um, or it's some sort of anomalous scenario where, like, you know, somebody was clearly not trained right. You know, they were put in the wrong. So you can like fix those reasonably quick because they're, they're reasonably obvious, right? So then the real data comes with the data in between the three segments, right? The sort of the. And, and so here's where it gets really interesting is that's what they call sort of common cores or data that a process that's in control mm-hmm. or something that's outside the limits. So something was out of control, but now it's sort of, in, it's in control, not even sort of, it's in control. So now what you want to see, and this is where it gets counterintuitive, is you want to see randomness. Yeah. And, uh, and what you don't want to see is patterns. And Deming has a really good explanation of, of like, in one of his early sort of reports, he didn't really write books, but he wrote some like sort of really large volumes of about statistics or you know, sort of data correction or sort of what he calls statistical adjustment of data. That was his big thing in early. He called it statistical adjustment data. And when he gave this analogy of like, but not analogy, his story, he said, if you had this really expensive sort of coffee table and it had this glass in it, and it was really expensive and it broke and you need to replace it. Um, you'd, you'd want to like measure the size before you ordered it, right? And you would sort of, right. you know, uh, measure twice, cut once, right? Like, but let's take it to a sort of extent that you maybe would measure it 15 times. Okay. And, um, and then let's say the, 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 you know, the thing is that we know from physics, there's always going to be variation and variance, right? Like that. So, and so what, what, if I took it 15 times and let's say one of the 15 was some crazy number. I'd look and say, well, like, oh, I got it out in there. Like, it, that was the one time the thing broke. I got another one. So you fix that. Now you go back and the measurements are sort of bouncing. I don't know. Let's say it's, I, I'm totally off on my sort of what sizing, but let's say it's between, um, you know, 90 centimeters and 100 centimeters. You know, the, so it's, this is variation, right? You never, there's never an infinite number that is exact in measurement. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and they're all sort of bouncing all over the place. Okay, well, then I'll just take the average and we're good. I'll send it. I'm right. Those are tolerance levels. They call that in manufacturing, they call go, no go tolerance levels. Mm-hmm. And then, but, but if I saw that like the first measurement and every measurement incrementally increased, right? I probably don't want to take just the average. I probably want to investigate that was something probably going wrong with my measurement instrument, or maybe it was sort of, I was. The operator was getting sort of, you know, you could sort of be funny and say the operator was getting drunk, but whatever, right? But that's that's basically what statistical process control is, is, you know, looking at in-process data and looking um, and trying to see where there are trends. And there's, if you take any course on operations research, there's like seven to 10 patterns mm-hmm. that you constantly look like, four above, two, like all these different patterns. But that's, you know, and, and, uh, you know, and it's served... Industries like uh, like nuclear plants, instrument control, uh, manufacturing very well. Unfortunately, we talked about this earlier. A lot of we've not really found any good grounding to use it in IT and software. And I think that's tragic. Why do you think that is? Because like I'm reading, I'm reading this. So just a little bit more background on the control chart, right? So the one of the real learnings from this part of the book for me was that taking back this to the Toyota Kata and the high velocity edge was about the improvement of systems. And now if we have the control chart, we can see the special causes and the common causes. 
okay, you have to do something about the special causes because as you say, they're black swans. You just have to take care of that. And then you bring everything within this balance of control. And then you have you know, a stable process that you can apply some improvements to. You can experiment on, you can iterate, you can try to improve. And then like thinking about that as, okay, this is how I have to approach the problem instead of just looking at these like arbitrary data things. And I'm you know, coming at this from a background of operations and thinking like, hey, I need these control charts like across all different parts of like telemetry in the stack. Like, how come we're not doing this right now? I, you know, so there's a couple of angles. One, I talked about like how, you know, that was his last book. You know, I think every movement needs a prop, sort of the profit of the movement, you know, Dave Stoughton for Kinevin, Simon Wardley for Wardley, right? Like, you know, what if the minute they created it, they just went around, right? Like, mm. so I think that's part of it. Um, I think that a lot of that work has been very heavily driven in um, industries that like don't sort of correlate well or or overlap well with IT, like healthcare, instrument control, nuclear power plants. I will say this too, right? You know, and God bless, you know, I think Steven Spearin again is a great guy. I love him. But I've had a really long debate with him about Deming's influence in Japan. Mm-hmm. And I'll just leave it at that. And then I, I started looking at like the um how lean was taught to us. And to be perfectly honest with you, I, I'm probably gonna write something about this. There's I, I think MIT gets a lot of the volume of what lean is, and they don't really talk about Deming at all. Oh, really? They don't talk about statistical process control. And I would say that, you know, if I had to create sort of a diagram of who who is the biggest influences of lean, probably the bodies of works that came out of lean, mm-hmm. you know, all the sort of people that were there. Um, and then Harvard, like, had this whole weird thing about lean, you know, that sort of went all sorts of sideways. Again, there's a longer discussion. So a, a large percentage of lean conversation doesn't include, it's as if Deming didn't exist. Mm. I don't know if it's by accident or I'm per- I don't know what the thing is, but like, they, like you don't find any discussions. And even some of them will say, yeah, I don't think they ever used that. I don't think Deming was that. Then you go over to the University of Michigan and you look at a provocata and you look at those, they're all about PDCA. They don't sort of jump on statistical process control. But I think the lean movement, right, honestly, I will say this right here, is absolutely guilty of either consciously or subconsciously not including Deming's impact on Toyota. Mm. And this is probably the first time I've ever said this publicly. I'm not saying as a concern. I'm just saying it's just sort of weird that in some cases you have to defend the people, Deming's influence on Toyota. And like, I've, like, I win those battles every time. I'll show Toyota Ono getting the Deming Prize in 1965. I'll show mm. uh, the original son of Toyota, the Toyota guy who was the first sort of, was Toyota Ono's boss mm-hmm. teaching a system process control with Deming in 1950. Mm. Like, like, and, and that's just some of like the evidence that he was involved and they directly were influenced, you know, and I think Shingo was a big proponent of uh, PDCA, um, you know, and, and driving that with his Judoka and all those things. But I, I just got to tell you, if I look at the body of work at Lean, it, in, there's very few examples where people do shout outs to Deming. And in fact, the only place I find it is in the MIT, the University of Michigan, the Shook and, you know, those guys and Rafa. It just seems weird because if the goal here is to improve the processes, I mean, when I'm reading, when I read the book, you know, this was the first time that I ever really saw like a specific yeah, method a for how lean, to, right? like, yeah, how to measure it. and how to think about actually improving processes from a, like a This is a great test to my point. 
Like yeah. you've read, you've, you know, you, you, you know, you've, you, it's not like you've been under a rock. Like, you know, lean and you know, the agile principles. And all of a sudden you sort of find out like Deming for my podcast, like there's something broken there huh. in, in the way we're teaching lean and agile, in my opinion. Well, then I'm happy that we're able to get this guy out there, broadcast the ideas and try to, you know, turn some of these rocks over and find ways that the ideas and the theories can be applied to today's work. And I read the the third edition of New Economics, and they have a whole new chapter on Deming now or something like that. And it's great. Yeah, I, re- I read the first, or, or, you know, the, uh, the earlier version of the New Economics, and I've, I've been listening to um, books on tape, you know, so I haven't gotten fully through it or the sort of updated version. But I love his grandson, you know, talking about how uh, even his grandson didn't know what, how, like, hey, granddad, how come you're, why are you be on NBC tonight? You know, like, like he, he's like, he's like, I had no idea my grandfather was famous, you know, so. All right, John. Well, thank you so much for making the time to come on the show and introduce the audience to Deming and just sort of geek out about this guy. He's um, got a large body of work that undoubtedly I will continue to you know, digest and share on the podcast and hope to make connections with people who are interested in this. Is there anything you'd like to pitch to the audience before we go? Um, you know, the thing is, if, um, if, you know, I say this a lot and I get no takers, I guess people are just shy. I, I truly mean it. If you are sort of in some form of work in really industry, but any IT role, and you want to, you've thought about Deming or heard about Deming or want to know more about Deming, uh, ping me. I'd like to just have a conversation on a podcast with you. Like I don't, my, my goal of the podcast is not just to interview sort of quote unquote famous people, right? It's, it's to sort of find out what people think about Deming in 2021. So, well, I can you know back that up. I reached out to you specifically after hearing that offer on the podcast. So, like, it's real. Like, if you want to talk about Deming, talk to John. I'm more than happy to talk. Yeah, cool. Well, I look forward to uh, your book and keep you uh, listen to the podcast and see how it's going. I wish you luck on that. I think it will be great. We look forward to your take on all this and how it relates to the work that we do, and um, just look forward to the future. Yeah. Well, thank you for inviting me. This was a lot of fun. My pleasure. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. You've just finished another episode of Small Batches, a podcast on building a high-performance software delivery organization. For more information and to subscribe to this podcast, go to smallbatches.fm. I hope to have you back again for the next episode. So until then, happy shipping. Like the sound of Small Batches? This episode was produced by Podsworth Media. That's podsworth.com.